Those of you who are, who are new to our parish uh, within the last year probably won't know who I am. My, my name is Father Armando Guzman. Yes, same as your pastor. And uh, I'm a senior priest of the Archdiocese, uh, currently uh, living in semi-retirement in, uh, in Shoreline, Washington. And I welcome the, uh, any, any new members of the parish here as well. I want to first acknowledge all the uh, ministers here at this fine church for sharing their, their gifts with our parish and helping to form good disciples. <clears throat> in a few moments in the Mass, in every Mass, we hear these words that introduce the Lord's Prayer. And it says this. Formed by divine teaching. Then it says, we dare to say. So my question for you to ponder and to reflect upon and to react to is, are you formed? Are you really formed by divine teaching? Or are you formed by the secular culture? The secular teachings. The teachings of the world. We used to, when I was working in retreats uh, my, in my younger days, uh, they would put, uh, to inspire the uh, retreatants, uh, was one of the signs that we would make ourselves. One of them I remember that, uh, committing to memory. And it said this, if you were accused of being a Catholic, would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> Put it another way, if I went to your house, the video camera, and just videoed you, like they do these days on TV, you know, would people say, yes, you are formed by divine teaching more than you are the secular culture. I hope that you can all say, I think so. I think I'm on that side. But if you're not, you've got homework. You know what to work on. I noticed, uh, I noticed this because I worked in uh, high schools, high school ministry for 14 years. And I saw how the culture was forming them more than divine teachings. I mean, if we as Catholic educators can only do so much. But the more powerful influences are you and even more powerful than you. The culture. <clears throat> I notice that we all have a tendency to rebel against God. That's something that we're born with. Church calls it theological uh, circles uh, original sin. I remember one priest said, I don't have to explain this to you. Just look around at what's going on in the world. Watch the news, TV, movies. You'll see. That's what they call slippery slope. It's always calling upon us to sin, to rebel. That's what, that's what a sin is. We rebel against God. Others put it this way. We, then that carries on to we rebel against authority. Apologists have said to us, those who, who study 
the, script, uh, the, the church, all its teachings and its history, say that the problem that most people have with the Catholic Church is one word. 99% it comes back to this. Authority. That's a whole other homily. We have a tendency to rebel against God. The, ten, uh, the tenets in today's parable from Matthew 21. Notice, hope you notice that the first reading and the gospel are very, very similar. Talking about vine growers, landowners, tenants. And really, it's talking about what's going to happen. We know that for thousands of years, God, who chose the Jews, the Hebrew people, the Hebrew children, have been struggling because they are always, always rebelling against God. Now, those of us who are studying the scriptures and are growing in biblical studies on our own, we probably come to realize that that's us. This isn't a history lesson. For all time, it seems like there has been that tension. God is merciful. God is patient. God is persistent. That's what we see. There's a point where God says, okay, you don't want to listen to me anymore? I will withdraw my hand. And of course, terrible things happen to them. Now, if, if uh, we were in a retreat, one of my questions that I would ask you to, to ponder, is, and I would wait for your answer, because this is the way I would, I can... I believe that I could gauge your level of enlightenment, how much homework you have been doing, how you've been responding through all the homilies that you've been hearing and all the scripture that you've, that you've read. The question is this. What is the problem with the world? What is the problem? That's all you should be thinking now, using your Catholic religious imagination? How would you answer that? Okay. But the best answer, answer of one who is enlightened, would be what I believe that the saints would say. Somebody put it this way. What is the problem of the world? The problem is the world. I am the problem of the world. Not my neighbor. Not my enemies. Not the government, not the school, not the church, not the police, not my lawyer. What is the problem with the world? I am. You want to improve the world? Work on yourself. That's why we have a confidier, the beginning of every mass, where we take time to, re to recall. What's the problem? Me. What am I doing that I, that I can do better? How am I rebelling? Do you realize that all of you who, at the beginning, who, who thought about your sins? I have, I have two that are, 
I'm always confessing at that point. That's why I took a little bit of time there. That's a habit I've formed. Because those of you who recalled any sins that you're working on a lot, maybe it's gossip, maybe it's judgmental, maybe complaining, you know, venial sins. That's the time for the venial sins. Remember Remember you said... In my thoughts, in my words, and what I have done and failed to do, that's where the rebellion takes place. That's where the sins originate. First with the thoughts. That's what St. Paul addresses in, this, in that second reading. Those of you who thought about what, your sins there received an absolution. Do you know that? You, if you know the answer, you should... Uh, this question, what was the words of absolution? May mighty God have forgive us our and bring us to everlasting. I can show you in, in that uh, sacramentary Roman Missal where it says in, in red letters the priest says the absolution. So congratulations, you were absolved. If you recall your sin and not thinking about something else. That's that influence all the time, trying, that, that, that evil presence, trying to make sure that, he, he, well, you got this far, but the, but the evil one's going to make sure that nothing happens once you get here, that your mind is going to be pulled somewhere else. Who's the greatest rebel against, against God is the devil. The other question, what is the vine that we heard in that first reading and in the gospel represent? Consciously, you you know the answer because we sang the answer. The vine, the vineyard, is the house of Israel. Okay. Okay, now you should know not to think about Israel as the Israel people. We are Israel. Israel rebelled against the Lord for most of their history and are doing so still. That's us. Because we're still rebelling against God. Now I remember uh, once I was uh, watching on, on Catholic when I had a, a cable, I had Catholic, a, te- a television uh, station, and I uh, heard a statistic that, that a priest that I really admire because uh, uh, I heard his testimony, and, and he, and he uh, very interesting testimony. He, uh, he, he, told his, he told his dad that he wanted to become a priest. That the, His dad said, no, you're not. You're going to be a doctor. He goes, and he had a fight with his dad about that. Well, he became one of the greatest priests I, I've, I've ever heard. Anyway, but he's, he, he quoted us, uh, he was talking about Israel, because he himself has been, had been to Israel 40 times. And, and he knows, uh, he, knows uh, the lang- he knows Hebrew, knows Hebrew Greek, Latin. I mean, very, very intelligent man. Would have made a great doctor, because he had this brilliant mind. But he was chosen by the Lord to do that. And he, made, he gave a statistic, and I went... Uh, Hold it. I think I misheard this. 
And then he said it again. I'm going, whoa. I couldn't believe what he had said. It's like I was a jaw-dropping moment. I thought, no, he, he, must be, he must be off. So I, after the program, I went directly to uh, my, my sources in my library, and I looked up, and then on the Internet, if what he had said was true. And sure enough, it was true. I thought, oh, man. I don't want to believe this is true. That's too much. I don't want to believe this if it's true. But so I went, I went to Israel. Got a tour bus, I got on a tour bus. And I waited for the moment to ask the tour director because basically his job was to take us around and uh, teach us, you know, like he would say, okay, here's where the apocalypse is going to happen. I went, whoa, what? <laughs> and we're just driving by. He goes, okay, this is where, this is where the, the swine that Jesus uh, cast into the, you know, threw themselves into the water. That's where that happened, right over there. And then we got on a wooden boat. He insisted on a wooden boat. We're going to go on the Sea of Galilee. And we were singing songs, and it's great. So I thought, I'm going to wait for a moment when he's alone. I'm going to ask him this question. What that priest had said, I still find it very hard to believe. But this is what it was. He said, in Israel. This was uh, about 10 years ago that I was there. He said, in Israel, 70, that's 7-0. At first I thought he said 17%. No, he said, in Israel, 70% of the people who live in Israel, the Jews, are atheists. I went, What? But they're the the chosen people. Salvation is from the Jews, right? What happened? So I asked him that question because he was from Nazareth. In fact, we stopped off part of the tour. We stopped off at Nazareth. And and somebody said, what are we stopping here? He says, oh, I hope it's okay. I got to drop my laundry off. (laughs) So I was sitting in the bus and I saw him get out and go into this house, drop his laundry off and come back in. So when we, at the next stop, I said, uh, his name is a Hebrew, but he goes by Bill. Because in Hebrew, Bill starts his Hebrew name. So I said, Bill, i got to ask you this. And when I had him alone, I said, I heard that, that in Israel, 70% of the Jews here are atheists. They don't believe in God. Is that true? This was his reaction. He looks around. He goes, yes, it's true. Then he said, you notice that when I'm talking about the leadership, he says, I use a term, which I just used earlier, I call them secular Jews. See? Because if I told them what, what you just told me, I would have problems. People wouldn't like that. See? I thought, oh man. Now, I mentioned St. Paul. What St. Paul is saying in that second reading, if you recall, he's saying in so many words, make a habit to every chance you get, any free moment you get, when you have, you can think about whatever you want. He's basically saying, make sure that your thoughts are thoughts that are pure, noble, praiseworthy, Excellent. What he's saying there is pray. That's what prayer does. Prayer, we all 
have control over our minds. As William James said, we have, we have, each one of us has a gift. Whenever we encounter whatever situation, it's upsetting or, or, or uh, bothers us, we can change our thoughts to, over here, to go from here to here. That's what prayer is about. So your homework is, for this week, try to spend more time thinking about God than you did last week. Just the very thought of God, you're changing from a, usually when there's a negative situation, that's what I do. As soon as I'm feeling, getting upset or wanting to judge somebody or complain, I stop, I have to stop and say, no, uh, so then I have a little prayer book close by. What, what I'm doing is I'm changing my thoughts. Because some people say, I don't know how to pray. I just say, think about God. And then if you want a little bit more, be thankful for something that God has given to you. There are millions of things he's given to you. shouldn't be hard. Just look around. See, those are habits that shape, shape us. Because you're getting bombarded, especially our, our youth, our young adults, our children are being bombarded by words and thoughts and images. This isn't my word. That I, I've heard people, sociologists who study this, that are toxic. I just noticed this. Okay, just notice anything you see, in the, uh, even how the news are, how, the, how the news do it, what shows do. You'll see that they are forming our children. I read somewhere that the, the average television show is aimed at 12-year-olds. How they are, are beginning to absorb issues of hopelessness. Just notice that, okay? Most of us don't notice it. I watch it all the time. I'm going, oh, no. I saw that as happening in high school, okay? The words I want you to remember is, observe the culture, but do not absorb it. Jesus said it another way. Be in, be in the world, but not of the world. We are supposed to be the light. Okay? It also talks about fruit here, right? And given to a people that will produce its fruit. Okay? Another level that's going on there is that Jesus is, is saying, I, Israel, I, I chose you and I gave you the, my best. And you rebelled against me. So I'm going to take that from you I'm going to give it to who? The Gentiles. That be us. Okay. We got to carry the flag. Okay. And we also, because one of the big words that the New Age people are using these days, it's very subtle, but they're using it. I've had people throw it in my face, and I'm ready for them. Hope you are too. That is, do not judge. But the Holy Scriptures gives us permission, several places. To be, we are given the permission to be fruit inspectors. <laughs> yeah. somebody, somebody says that because doesn't he say, by their fruits you shall know them. 
Okay? And it goes further than that. Fruit that will... Exactly. That's a lot harder. There's people who you look at and you go, yeah, it looks like they're doing pretty good. But will it last? Look at history. Most of it doesn't. Your fruit won't last unless you're doing the will of God and the Holy Spirit's helping you. Fruit that will last. Okay. So you, you are called to be the light. You are disciples and you are called to make other disciples. But remember, observe, but don't absorb it. Unfortunately, a lot of our children are absorbing it. And we're seeing the bad fruit right now. I want to end with these, uh, these words. <clears throat> the things that you th- think about determine the quality of your soul. Your soul takes on the color of your thoughts. Great things are not accomplished by those who yield to trends and fads and popular opinion. The last line from John 15. I have chosen you from the world, says the Lord, to go bear fruit that will last. John 15.